If you have a Bible this morning, find the book of Mark. Mark, and we're going to be in chapter number two, Mark chapter two. And today is the third week of uh, about a nine-part series of messages where we are teaching through the book, the gospel of Mark. It's going to take us all the way up to Easter Sunday. It's going to include our Good Friday service, uh, which you'll, we'll have some announcements about those types of things in the next number of weeks. Uh, but there are 66 books in the Bible, uh, our Bible, 66 different books written by about 40 different people over a period of about 1,600 years. Uh, four of those books, four of those 66, are called the Gospels. They tell the story of Jesus, when he was born, uh, what he did, where he went, all the way through his death and his resurrection and all of that. And so four of those gospels, Mark is the first gospel that was written. In fact, let me quickly put a slide on the screen that will, some of us will find interesting. Okay, when were the four gospels written? Maybe you didn't, ever, didn't think about this. A gospel of Mark was the first one written 66 to 70. Understand that Jesus was crucified in somewhere between 30 to 33 AD. And so these were written 30 to as many as 50. 60 years after Jesus died. Uh, And so the Gospel of Mark was the first. Gospel of Matthew and Luke kind of written about the same time. Uh, They both used a lot of what Mark had written in their writing of it. And then the Gospel of John, that is nuts to think about for me. The Gospel of John was written 90 to 110 AD. Put that into perspective. John was one of the disciples of Jesus. This is why we think of these guys, you know, as teenagers, oftentimes when when they were called by Jesus. Uh, John was the only one out of the 12 who was not murdered for being a follower of Christ. He's the only one out of the 12 disciples of Jesus who dies of old age. And when he's like in his 80s, 90s, way up there, okay, he sits down and writes out the gospel of John. And so that that was fascinating to me. Some of you are like, get on with it. But I like that kind of stuff. Okay, Uh, back to the gospel of Mark, which is our focus. This man named John Mark, or we'll just call him Mark, was an associate of Peter. Uh, He was not a direct follower of Jesus, even though many think he would have met Jesus and and been a part of some of that stuff. Uh, But after spending all this time with Peter, after Jesus is now gone, uh, he sits down and he writes out Peter's story. See, uh, Peter was with Jesus. Peter walked with Jesus, saw him do miracles, saw him heal people and, and cast out demons. And Peter was there when Jesus fed the 5,000 people with the, the loaves and the fish. And he was in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested. Uh, in fact, Peter tried to fight a, a Roman soldier uh, in front of Jesus and he swings a sword and cuts off the ear of one of the Roman soldiers while they're trying to arrest Jesus. And then Jesus picks the thing back up and puts it on and heals the guy. It's a crazy story. Okay, and then turns to Peter and is like, knock it off, man. We're not here to cut anybody, all right? Uh, and, and so this is Peter. Peter then is watching the trial of Jesus. This is who, and Peter saw the risen Lord, spent 40 days with Jesus after the resurrection. And then, so then when Mark sits down with Peter and, and downloads all this information, and then Mark writes all sorts of things. What we love about the gospel of Mark is that it's short. It's to the point. He doesn't just, he doesn't add all these details. He's just like, let's get to this. And so it is the shortest of the four gospels and it's not even close. But Mark just wants his his readers to know that Jesus was the very son of God and that he was the Messiah. And he's out to prove that and talk about that. Last week, we talked about how Jesus called his first four disciples. And by the way, Peter and John were a part of those four disciples. 
Uh, and, and they were young teenage fishermen, and Jesus uses Jewish rabbi language. We talked about that, and he said, come follow me. Uh, and if you missed last week, find that thing, watch that message. It'll help you understand some things, and it was just such a great thing uh, for me. I loved that message last week. Uh, but that's where we stopped, and today we're just going to jump a little bit ahead in the story, but let me fill you in kind of to what's going to happen here in between. Jesus goes from calling these first four disciples to traveling around and he began speaking and teaching in the local synagogues which was the like the the rural little churches in these villages is the way we could think think about it and he begins what we call his earthly ministry and when we say his earthly ministry what we're talking about is there is a three-year period before the crucifixion of Jesus where Jesus is teaching and healing people and walking around and has disciples and all of that. We call that his, his, his ministry. Uh, in fact, the end of chapter one, Jesus called his disciples and then they go right to Peter's mother-in-law who is like sick and Jesus heals her and she just gets up and begins to make food. It's kind of a funny story the way that they word it. All right, and then the crowds of people begin to come and they begin to bring people to Jesus and Jesus begins to heal them. Jesus begins to cast out demons, which is a conversation for a different day, okay? But most of this ministry of Jesus, this three-year period, took place in northern Israel, 60 or 70 miles north of Jerusalem, around this massive body of water called the Sea of Galilee. It's where Jesus spent most of his life. It's where he grew up, and he's now traveling from little village to little village with his disciples there. Uh, and, And on their journey, they're constantly encountering people, Over and over and over again, a man with leprosy comes. Mark tells us a story. This man with leprosy comes up to Jesus and he begs, he gets on his knees and he says, you can make me clean. And and Jesus reaches out and touches him, which was nuts because the man has a deathly skin disease that is transmitted by touch. And Jesus touches him. It's crazy uh, when you look at that story. And the man is healed. There's this paralyzed man that Mark tells us about. And his friends bring him to Jesus on a mat. They're carrying him. And, and the story says they like couldn't get in the house. And so they dig a hole in the roof and drop him down in the, in the middle of the house. It's crazy. And Jesus then uh, heals this man. And, but we, we begin to see this pattern of he's traveling. He's encountering people, uh, crowds of people. He heals people, Jesus teaches, and then they move on again and different people in different situations, but the same story kind of again and again. And all of that leads up to what we're going to go see today. And that was a long breath right there that I just said all that stuff in. And so let's get into it. Please stand with me all over this place and let's read together Mark chapter 2. And today we're going to start in verse number 13. Mark chapter 2. So we've skipped a few verses, but that was what we just missed. Uh, and so here's what it says. It says, once again... Jesus went out beside the lake. That's the Sea of Galilee, way up in northern Israel. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Verse 16, when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. All right, I'm excited about this. Let's pray. God, we, we just take a deep breath and we invite you here into this moment, right here, right now. I, I pray that you would show us things through your word. I pray that you would speak. I pray that we would be encouraged and moved and challenged and changed. And God, we, we truly want to encounter you uh, today. God, use me and help me sincerely. Uh, I humbly pray, God, that this would not be about me, but this would be about you. And so, Lord, we just give this to you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. All right, well, let's get right into this because we got a lot to unpack in a short amount of time. Uh, and so verse number 13, again, we're seeing, we're seeing this pattern play out. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to, to teach. And, and so Jesus and his disciples, at least, at least his four disciples at this point, we're really not sure, which would have been Peter and Andrew and James and John from last week. They're walking from place to place with Jesus, and this large crowd shows up. This is going to start happening uh, over and over and over again during this three-year period of Jesus. Uh, and in this northern rural place uh, of Israel around this, the Sea of Galilee, uh, there's all these people that have come, and large crowds. Why are there crowds gathering around Jesus? That, that, that's a question we could start with, and the simple answer is, well, everybody's talking about him. Everybody's saying something. We, are, we live in rural Minnesota here, and you understand how people can talk and the way people get excited about certain things, and now you're, everyone's here and everything. Could you imagine if there was somebody in our little community who all of a sudden is doing crazy things, like miracles are happening on the street, and, and all of a sudden you're walking by and you're like, isn't, isn't that John? I thought he had a broken leg. Didn't he have a broken leg? He had to get him. And you're like, John, what's the deal? Jesus, this guy healed me. And then you're like, well, there's the guy over there. He had, doesn't he have leprosy? What's going on? How does he? And, and so you can feel what's happening here. And everyone's walking around and they're saying, hey, I've, th- Jesus was teaching over there. He was saying this stuff. Isn't that nuts? And people are like, really? That's crazy. And so people start to flock. People start to come. And so we just have crowds of people, people who are curious, people who are trying to figure out what's going on. And so at this point in the story, all these people aren't necessarily interested in following Jesus. They're just almost trying to see a show. And so these crowds would form. Jesus would heal people. And then he'd sit and he would teach and the crowds would be astonished by the words that came out of his mouth. He spoke with such power. He spoke with such beauty. Nobody else said things the way that he was saying. Some of the things he was saying was controversial. Jesus was saying things, difficult things, but he also spoke with this like tone of hope as well. And so people are fascinated by this man. They're fascinated by Jesus. And we don't see this quite yet, but we're going to see it here in, in the next few verses. And that is that the religious leaders start to notice. The religious people. And we've got this new rogue man who's walking the streets talking about God's stuff that we don't always agree with. And we're not really sure 
Is this man actually real? Is he from God? He's doing miracles, but I don't know what to do. And so we have all this tension that is beginning to form as the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, which is the people who taught the Bible for a living, uh, okay? And, and, and so they are trying to figure out some of, they are intrigued, but at the same time, Jesus is doing some things that are upsetting, uh, things that a good religious teacher would not do. Uh, a lot of it has to do with who Jesus is spending his time with. Not only the, does, does he have a handful of disciples that no other rabbi would choose, which we learned last week, but he spends time with super messy people here. And I mean, the man with leprosy, like a religious person, you don't touch someone like that. That's unclean. And there's, okay, so just understand, God would not be okay with that. Can you feel that and hear that in the way that there's, okay? And so we're just a few pages into Mark's story, but something is already going to and is beginning to brew with Jesus and these religious people. And, uh, and this man named Levi that we're going to read about today is going to be right in the middle of this. And so, as verse number 14, it just said, as Jesus is walking along, he saw Levi sitting at this tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Similar language to last week where he says, follow me, and a person leaves everything that they have and they follow him. Okay, but Jesus is walking along, and he's got his little band of disciples. It's not 12 yet, okay, we're getting there. There's crowds even as well that are in this picture. And Jesus then sees this man named Levi sitting at a tax collector's booth. Now, before we get too much farther here, I want to unpack that a little bit. A few things about the situation. First, this man's name is Levi, but we know him by another name as well, and that is the name Matthew. And so when we say Levi, this is going to be be one of the guys who writes the four, one of the four Gospels. This is Matthew, is who this is. Uh, he's going to become one of Jesus' closest followers, a disciple of Jesus. He's going to walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, sleep in the same places. He's going to see Jesus do all these amazing things and miracles. He's going to sit with Jesus at his feet as Jesus taught all this stuff. Okay, And so this is who this is. Who this is. So when we read... There's a tax collector named Levi. That's who we're talking about. Second thing, if, if you don't under, understand the Jewish, first century Jewish political system and what was happening in this time, this matters to this conversation as well. The Jewish people had been overthrown by the Roman Empire. And so, uh, though the Jewish people were in a way free, kind of, um, there would have been Roman soldiers on the street that they would have walked by, and they had to pay taxes to Rome. Uh, Rome was not helping them in any way. This isn't Rome taking their money and then giving them new roads or doing anything like this or helping their poor. This is Rome who has overthrown them and is now requiring them to pay taxes. And uh, they were the superpower of the day. Nobody stood up to Rome. Rome was hated by the Jewish people. In fact, many, many, many good Jewish people, and we even see this in the disciples moving forward, they believe the Messiah is going to come to free them from Rome, not to free them from their sins and all this. That's the stuff that, like, they, they think the Messiah is going to come as a military leader to set them free from the Roman Empire, okay? And so they hated Rome. And to make things even worse, to set up our situation for today, Rome would recruit Jewish people to actually collect the taxes for them. And these Jewish people 
who would get a job hired by the Roman, Roman government would become wealthy, taking money from their own people and giving it to the enemy. And the way that they made their money was to actually cheat their own people, to charge them more than they should even have to pay. And so can you imagine the feelings and the emotions that a regular Jewish person walking down the road has towards a Jewish tax collector who is cheating their own people, becoming rich for the enemy. Can you feel this? Like this is what is happening here. Tax collectors were hated in this time. In fact, most of the time when you see the word tax collectors come up in the Bible, it'll say tax collectors and sinners. Puts it in that category right there. That's just, and we'll see that actually come up here as well. And so back to our story, Jesus is walking along the road. He's got these random fishermen as his disciples now. And everyone's looking around and saying, why'd you pick them? Crowds of people are happening. Crowds of things. All this is going on here. And Jesus then sees this man, Levi, sitting in a tax collector's booth and reading into this situation a little bit here. I imagine the disciples following Jesus, like they walk up and they see the tax collector right there before Jesus even says something. And they, uh, they immediately do what they just always have done. They start whispering, whispering to each other and they start saying, look at that punk with the smirk on his face. Someone should give him what's coming to him. You know what I mean? Like this. And it's like, like they're saying, hey, hey, I hope you fall over dead. You know, because this, this, this is who we have here in the story. And it's to that man that Jesus turns to and says, come follow me. It brings it to life a little bit. As now the disciples who, who have just signed up for this are like, wait, he's a part of our team too? I, I'm not so sure about this, Jesus. What are you doing? Like nobody likes him. Okay, what's, uh, and so this is, and the story says that, G, that Levi then gets up from his tax booth and just follows Jesus. I mean, uh, everything is just crazy about this story, and now you have this little guy walking in your group. I can't even imagine what this would have felt like. And so now verse number 15, uh, is just a continuation of the story. Levi gets up, okay, and then verse 15 says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Many tax collectors and sinners, you can see that language right there, uh, were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? By the way, we had three times right there where tax collectors and sinners was in the same sentence, if you saw that, okay? Um, Now, we don't know if this right here happened that same night We don't know if this was a month later. We really don't know. Like Mark, again, leaves out so many details and he's just trying to get to a point. And so some of the timeline stuff, we just don't know what was happening here. Uh, But Jesus and the disciples end up at Levi's house for dinner. And now this makes sense, by the way. Uh, Unlike the fishermen, Levi has money. And so Levi has a home. And he has a home where he can have a whole bunch of people there. Uh, He's also thought to be a little bit older than some of these teenage fishermen there as well. But, okay, so there's a big group of people at this dinner. And there's tax collectors, other tax collectors there that have been invited. And they're also there, eating with the disciples. And there's another group that Mark just calls sinners, that have also been invited to this. Sinners are in the mix. And this isn't, understand, this isn't just like everybody is a sinner and we've all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Like when Mark calls them sinners, what he's implying here is we're dealing with a messy group of people. A messy group. In fact, this, this, is, this is drunks. 
This is prostitutes. This is people that have no regard and no respect for God at all. Uh, and, and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, which are the religious leaders and they, the most religious people of the day, understand this. This is what they did for a living. They see this Jesus, who is this rabbi, but they're not sure he's a rabbi, even though he talks like a rabbi and he calls disciples like a rabbi and he's supposed to be a spiritual leader. And now he sees them this rogue rabbi eating with these people. This is crazy. Like we read this and we think, oh, Jesus is it's just beautiful, isn't it? He just loves those. Can you just understand with me for a moment how nuts this is? That these types of people are sitting at the table, across the table, next to Jesus, across from Jesus. We have this type of stuff happening. He's sitting down and having a meal and across the room is a prostitute. Can you, can you feel it? I don't know if she took time to change her clothes or what she, like, feel that. And right next to him over here is, you know, it, it's some, like, the, the town drunk who walks and stumbles out of the bar every night and has been, in, like, arrested over and over and over again and is just unruly and, like, this is who we have here. They're cussing. They're telling dirty jokes. They're, like, these people haven't showered in a month, some of them, and, and, and when we paint the picture like this, can you see why these religious leaders say what they say? And it's so easy for us to make the religious leaders out to be these horrible bad guys. And in a way they are in different ways. They're going to kill Jesus eventually. So they're, okay. but, but we have to admit that what Jesus is doing here in this hyper-conservative rural religious culture is just unfathomable. It's just nuts. And so the religious leaders they don't ask Jesus, but they kind of whisper to Jesus' disciples. They say, why does he eat with these people? And, and there's a hint of arrogance in their voice, you know, as they are better than them and some of that. But it's also just a really normal question for them to be asking. In fact, I'm sure that that question has crossed the minds of his disciples as well. I mean, just feel that. Verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, okay, it is not the healthy who need a doctor with the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so the religious leaders are whispering, but Jesus hears it, and he turns to the religious leaders and just confronts it head on, and he says, it's not the healthy people that need a doctor. It's the sick. I haven't, like, I haven't come uh, to call the righteous. I have come to call sinners. And listen, like, over and over and over again, in the book of Mark, in the other Gospels as well, we're going to see and read about this tension that is forming over and over again between Jesus and the religious people. There's going to be confrontation that happens again and again. It's going to get ugly real fast. Uh, and, and in fact, next week, we are going to focus, laser focus on that. The tension between Jesus and the religious leaders. And there's so much that we can learn. Because I'm telling you, there are things that we do as Christians that side that will go a little bit more ties towards these religious people than the way that Jesus asks. And we have to be careful because we can easily fall into some of the things that, that was their issues. We're going to look at that next week. Uh, but right here is where we're going to stop for our story today. Awkward situation, encounter with these religious people. But before we finish, I just want to take a, a minute and make a few observations. And so three things, three things from this story, and you can write these down if you're taking notes. 
uh, from the story of Levi and his response and all this type of stuff, okay? And so write this down. Number one is just some of these are so obvious. Like Jesus doesn't do things the way everyone else does things. And I don't know if that's even good English, but we're just, it's, it's, I don't really care, okay? Jesus doesn't do things the way everyone else does things. Uh, and again and again, we have a story from the life of Jesus where he just does something that nobody else would think of doing. This is so far out there, and that is calling a tax collector to be his disciple. And, and, and I'm not even completely sure that we can fully grasp the complexity of the situation. We don't have tax collectors in the way, like, like we, we make jokes about the IRS and whatever else like that. That's not the same of what this was. It's not the same uh, at all. And again and again, we see Jesus doing things that regular people, normal people just would not do. And it's like he doesn't care about keeping the religious people happy. He doesn't care uh, if he's not following the cultural rules of the day. He just like uh, over and over again, we just see this. And this idea really comes through in our second observation Uh, And that is this, people judge, this is number two, people judge by outward appearance, but Jesus knows the heart. And this is so clear when you look at the story of Jesus and when you look at the way that he acts. And and as normal people, like, like we are, we're just people here, all people, we formulate thoughts about each other very quickly. Whether we want to or whether we don't want to, all of the time in our mind we are calculating and we are thinking and we are coming to judgments about other people based on external things. We we do this in both good ways and bad ways, by the way. We see how people dress and we have thoughts. We have thoughts. We see how big or small somebody is and things go through our mind. We see how much makeup a person, a woman is wearing and we have thoughts, both positive and negative, but thoughts are there. We hear people talk and we immediately come to conclusions about different things. We watch people interact with other people and automatically our brains are coming to conclusions in in those things. And even this morning when you walked in and you interacted with people and different things and different ways, you have had thoughts go through your mind about somebody else based on external things. This is who we are as people. It is normal. It is natural. And we don't like to use the word judge around here, do we? Or like as people, because none of us like the idea that we are judging other people, but we are absolutely making judgments about other people all the time and it never stops. We are, we do, subconsciously. We don't even know it's happening. We can't turn it off. It's part of how our God-given, God-created brains work, but we are constantly judging the book by its cover. We constantly do this. And no one's agreeing with me. No one's nodding with me here. You're like, I'm not, I'm not, no, I don't do that. I don't, don't, I'm so much deeper and bigger than that, okay? Uh, But we, we do it. And partly it's because we cannot see what is on the inside. We can't see it. And, and we, can, like, we can't truly judge a person's heart. 
We can spend a whole bunch of time with people and the more we get to know them, the more certain things are going to come out and different, and we can make inclusions and that stuff. But like that's really only possible with a few people. We're talking about interacting with people all the time, everywhere. But just understand Jesus is so different. He sees people's hearts. He, he knows. I mean, why in the world would Jesus choose this tax collector? It just doesn't make sense. Every person and, and their brother walked by the tax collector and made judgments about him from external things. But Jesus responds in this radical way. Why? Because he can see something different than everyone else can see. In fact, the story that Mark tells immediately before the story with the tax collector, with Levi here, is where a group of people, a group of friends bring this paralyzed man to to Jesus and they drop him through the roof and and Jesus turns to the man who is paralyzed and before he heals him, he's kind of making a point and this is more with the religious leader, but he he tells the man, your sins are forgiven. Well, the religious leaders freak out because they're like, only God can forgive sins. Who are you to forgive sins? And there's this clash that begins to happen. But let me read this to you. This is Mark chapter 2, verse 8. We're talking five verses before what we read about Levi. It says, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And then we go, th- go on and you can read the rest of that. But he knew in his spirit what they were thinking okay, in their hearts. In this situation... Like in this situation, the people saw good in the religious people, but Jesus sees their hearts and sees what is not good. And and we also see this in the opposite way as well, as people see bad when they look at Levi, but Jesus sees his heart. And Levi humbly responds to Jesus and follows him and is going to turn out to be a core person in, in, in what God is doing. There was something about these teenage fishermen. They were not the choice of the rest of society. The rest of society looks at these teenage fishermen, uh, which is Andrew and Peter and James and John, who Jesus called last week. The, uh, society looks at them and says, well, they dropped out of school. They're doing their family business. They really need a shower. They're from rural, rural Israel around the lake. This is what they do all day long, every day, not so bright or whatever. That's what normal people look at them and see that Jesus, for some reason, we know the reason. He sees something different. He sees their heart in that way. Okay, Jesus looks and sees the very people he wants to use to change the world and lead the church once he is gone. We are quick to judge but Jesus knows the heart. And understand that. Realize that. Ask God to help us with that. And then finally, and we'll end with this one, so clear in this passage of Scripture, that Jesus loves all people, but his focus is people who are lost. Jesus loves all people, but his focus is people who are lost. And as you read this section of Scripture, you can't miss it. Taken from the very words of Jesus, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Luke chapter 19, uh, verse 10, Jesus actually says this about himself. He says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. To seek and to save the lost. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story of a shepherd who leaves the 99 found sheep, to go search and risk his life to save the one that is lost. We have that. Jesus tells another story called the lost son about a father, uh, or about a son who leaves his father and makes a mess of his life. And the father then throws this incredible party for the son when he comes home. And and the father says he was lost and now is found. And, and, And Jesus, in telling the story, says the angels rejoice in heaven way more over the one who comes home than the 99 who are already found. 
in that same thing. A clear picture painted of God the Father and his relationship with, with his creation. Uh, and to, to us as people who all who have wandered off and made a mess of things. See, understand this. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He, immensely. He loves all people everywhere. There's no question. Uh, and the book of Romans tells us there's nothing that you can do to be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But God's heart burns for those who are far from him. He loves all people. He loves you in the church. He loves us as we are his children. When we commit our lives to him, we are adopted into his family and all of that. But can I just tell you that his heart like burns for people who are not found. For people who are lost, for people who are broken, for people who are outside the family of God and all of that. Like every, all people everywhere, but his heart burns for those who are far from him. He desperately wants lost to be found. It's why Jesus came and it's why Jesus died to seek and to save that which is lost. Music team, will you please come? My prayer for this morning is just, God, help me see people the way that you see people. And I'm realizing again and again that I am filled without wanting to, without, without even knowing at some time, I am filled with judgmental attitudes about different people in different ways at different times that are just not very much like Jesus. It creeps into my life and creeps into my heart all the time. Even though I don't mean to be, I can be incredibly self-centered and there's a world of people that desperately need to be reached with the message of Jesus and I just pray like God help me to see people the way that you see people. Help me to see people through, through your eyes. Help me to care about the people that I just seem to forget. Like, Open my eyes in new ways to see new things and help me take a step in that direction. Oh God, see, we, we think about, in the church, we talk about being pro-life. And for us, mostly that means that we're against abortion when we say that phrase and, and, and all of that because a child is beautifully and wonderful created by God. But so often we forget, and, and don't mishear me here, like I, I am so in that camp, and I, and I, and I, I desperately pray that we would uh, love, love people enough to, to, to help them understand that, that abortion and what that is doing and all, okay, this is not about that. But we so often forget that our enemies were also beautifully and wonderfully created by God. The people that we despise, were wonderfully and beautifully created by God. And while we look down at certain people groups or certain, we label certain people as bad, we label certain things as evil, whether that's a certain political party that we just cannot fathom why people would think this way, 
We cannot fathom. It is so godless and they're, they're moving our country from here to worse and all of this. And we think about it in that way and we look at the people and we begin to make judgments about people who just understand that that person was beautifully and wonderful, wonderfully created by God. And it doesn't mean we don't stand up for what we believe in and all of that type of stuff, but just understand how quickly the minds of our, our minds can go into areas that should never go to. Because as soon as we begin to think about a person who has been created masterfully and beautifully by God as completely evil and all of that type of stuff, we will lose the ability to reach them. And sure, there are people that are evil. There are people that have done horrible things. But when you think about it, it's like some of the worst people in our history were created by God. And God desperately desires for the lost to come home. Every person on this planet, beautifully and wonderfully created by God, and God wants nothing more than the lost to be found. Stand with me all over this place. God, we just pause for a moment. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts. God, I am becoming more and more aware of some of the thoughts and judge, judgmental stuff that seeps into me all the time. Things that are not okay, things that are not of you. And God, my desire is to just be more and more like Jesus. It's what I want. It's the call of a disciple, a call of a follower of you. It's not to just do churchy things and be Christians, but God, that we would become more and more like Jesus every single day. And I just pray that even in this moment here, you would help make us aware of some of the thoughts and actions and mindsets that are just so far away from you. Teach us how to move in that direction. Teach us how to care about lost people the way that you do. God, we need you and we love you. Help us with this in your name, we pray. One of the weeks that we're gonna see coming up here is that the disciples are just gonna again and again be confused by some of the things that Jesus says. They just aren't gonna understand and they miss, they miss this, his purpose for why he came. They misunderstand. When he talks about his death and different things, they're like, no, he means something different. They, they constantly are missing Jesus. Uh, and I think my point in bringing this up is just that we're, we're not ever going to be perfectly doing all of this right, thinking the right way. The goal isn't necessarily to be perfect just because it's an impossible goal for people here on earth. But the goal is to take steps in the direction of becoming more and more like Christ. And so we read things today and we read, we read where Jesus just seems to see people's hearts and we become in a way more and more aware of the ways where we do things that are not very much like Jesus. And we see Jesus uh, in the way that he treats the lost and, and the way that he talks about this. And we begin to ask ourselves the question, where am I? when it comes to people who are far from God, if I wanna be more and more like Jesus. And we begin to take steps in that direction. And so today, 
The idea isn't that you walk out of this place and a switch is flipped and now all of a sudden you're perfect because your wife will be pretty quick to remind you that you're not. Uh, but it's that we take steps in the direction of becoming more and more like Christ. And so God, I pray that over our church family, that we would move closer and closer to the way that you lived, Jesus, and the way that you did things, and that we would view our lives more and more through how would you act and live if you were here right now? And what does it look like for us to better be the body of Christ, the hands and the feet of Jesus, moving and healing and helping? And, and so God, I just pray that as we ask hard questions and as we come face to face with areas that maybe we are not right in, God, that we would be humble enough to take a step in that direction. And so, God, we thank you that you are so gentle with us, that even when, even we, when we are so far off sometimes, even when we sin and fall away, that you just gently, gently bring us forward. So we're praying for that today. We pray for that, God, in your name. One final thing just before we move on and before we're done today. Uh, maybe you're here today and you've never responded to this message of Jesus to follow him to be reconciled to the Father, to Father God through Jesus' death on the cross and to become more and more like Jesus every single day and there's this beautiful call and as we do that we really begin to step into the life that is truly life and the reason that we are here and all of that and if you're here this morning and you have never like you never responded You've never said yes to Jesus. And you want to do that today with no one looking around. Just show me your hand. I just want to pray for you. Just saying, I want to say yes to Jesus today. Respond to this message. If you're watching on a screen right now, you can respond to Jesus. It's not, it's not about being in a church building. It's about your heart responding to him, you can do that today. And so church, let's just, everyone just pray a prayer with me. Like these are magic words. And this isn't just about, it's not just about getting into heaven when you die. This, there is so much more to this, becoming like Christ. And so let's just pray this. Pray, Father God, I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins and change my life. In your name I pray.